Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast, the book of Acts. I am your host, Angela Smith. I am so excited that you are here with us. If this is your first study with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you've been here before, then you know how this rolls. And I'm just going to give our new friends a little bit of insight about how this is going to go. So we are studying the book of Acts. We're reading one chapter a day. If you go to MyFaithRadio.com, you can get a great study guide to follow along questions for every day to help you go a little bit deeper with the book of Acts. And for this podcast, we'll record one episode for each chapter that will drop every day. So we would love for you to join us and go through each chapter, do the study guide questions, and then come and listen to the podcast. And maybe some of the things that stuck out to you will have stuck out to the guests too, but it's just a little bit of a deeper conversation looking at the book of Acts. Our study guide was written, again, we're getting to partner with the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And so I have Dr. Nick Fox partnering with us, and he is here today to record this introductory episode. He's been teaching for over eight years in colleges, universities, and seminaries, both online and in person. He's published several academic projects, including his first book, which is on Luke and Acts. He loves seeing people engage more deeply in their faith when they learn to read the Bible in its original language, Greek. And he's also the owner teacher of Biblical Greek Made Easy. It's a website, biblicalgreekmadeeasy.com. And if you sign up for the study guide, you're going to get a discount code. So you want to make sure that you go over and do that at myfaithradio.com. He also leads study trips to the Holy Land where people can experience the stories of Jesus where they actually happened. And I've heard people say that it's like the Bible becomes goes from black and white to technicolor. He lives in Minnesota with his wife, Angela, and their two dogs, Lily and Declan. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So would you... Is it okay if I call you Nick? Sure, absolutely. Great. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about everything that what you've written for the study guide and already, and I think it's going to be a great resource. Yeah, great. Good. Acts is the real deal. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's been so long since I read it, and I'm really glad that we're doing, that we did Luke last and are going right into Acts because it's so fresh to think about who Luke is and the perspective from which he's writing. Yep. It's definitely part one and part two. No question. Yep. And we see all sorts of themes that are introduced in Luke that continue right through to Acts. Absolutely. And some of the questions that I had in Luke, I'm finding, oh, some of them are getting answered in the book of Acts. Yep. Absolutely. So let's dive right in with the info. Well, actually, first, let's get to know you a little bit more. How did you end up becoming Dr. Nick Fox? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I um, I was a curious kid. You know, I love to learn. From an early day, early years, I remember um, trying to delay my bedtime as much as possible by asking <laughs> questions to mm-hmm. my dad about science and whatever else. And he was a total sucker for that. It, w- it worked. <laughs> and so not only did I get to extend my bedtime, but I got to learn as well. And so I just loved that early on. And I met Jesus when I was a teenager and just started following that down its uh, logical end with loving to learn and loving Jesus. I mean, I was the kid in high school that asked too many questions and uh, explored it to the end of where the professors, the teachers didn't know how to answer it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I went to university and every teacher that I had had a PhD in whatever they were teaching. And I was just, it was like a smorgasbord for a kid who loved to learn. It was awesome. You hear those stories about people going to kids, high school kids going to college and losing their faith. It was mm-hmm. the opposite for me. My mm-hmm. faith hit a jump start when I went to college and um, it was just a great experience for me. And so I've been pulling on that thread for like 20 years, right? So I, I had an awesome experience in undergrad 
I worked in ministry for a while, continued in ministry and went back to uh, do an MDiv at Bethel, Bethel Seminary and then just kept going to do the PhD. And so, like I said, I've just been pulling on that thread for 20 years and I still love it. And now I get to teach it mm-hmm. and I get to work with students or, who are kind of in that same place I was when I was growing like crazy. What's that like being now the one that's supposed to answer the questions? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's sort of a natural shift, like, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I loved I loved engaging with professors and picking their brains, and I still do that. I mean, I see myself as a lifelong learner, you know, and always trying to, to stretch and grow and get better. But I, I see that in my students, too, you know, is that they're engaged. And one of my favorite things to do is to teach students who are engaged and want to learn and ask good questions themselves. And so, yeah, it's great. Like, what a great opportunity for them to have a professor that's okay with lots and lots of questions. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, I've got two boys, and I've got one of them that asks questions a lot, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. you've, you've, he very quickly reached the end of my knowledge of things. Right. <laughs> but that yep. is such a great quality, that curiosity of things. Yep. So speaking of that, let's jump into Acts. What what do you feel like you want people to know as they begin their study of the book of Acts? Yeah, so to rehash some things that were probably said in talking about Luke, Luke is likely a Gentile writing to other Gentiles, uh, scholars would agree. Acts is definitely part two of a two-part series, as we mentioned before. Luke is part one, Acts is part two. And there's there's definitely a continuation. You know, uh, The book of Acts picks up at the ascension scene, which is 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. And that's that's where the story picks up. So Jesus leaves essentially in chapter 1. And then the disciples are just kind of left to take the story forward. And the cast of characters quickly changes, not just the 12 or the 11, you know, with Judas being gone and they replace him and they move that forward. But the cast of characters is going to quickly expand. The early church is not without struggle or without persecution or without strife or whatever you want to call it. I mean, we might expect the disciples so closely connected to the ministry of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and all of that stuff. We might expect them to just succeed without any struggle. And we see a very different picture in the book of Acts. Which is kind of encouraging because, you know, I was telling you before we started recording that at the beginning that seemed like everybody was sharing and people were selling all of their things and giving their money and they were living in this communal kind of setting. And then the grumbling starts and division starts and the the persecution from the government and the the Jewish religious leadership as well. And I think it's a hard lesson to learn that that's part of the refining process. That kind of that persecution, the questioning, the grumbling, the the you know the rubbing together when when you're not agreeing with things. It. I mean, I'm saying this as a personality who hates conflict and pain, <laughs> and I want to run from it. But the those the times that there's been friction, the times that I've friction with me or friction like just me and other people, or me and God, that those have been the times of real growth. Yep. And so those are it's so valuable. And then we and we see that. Yeah, we see those streams running concurrent, right? So we see uh, ministry growth, ministry success, miracles, uh, explosive growth, harmony running right alongside persecution and arrest and sometimes even martyrdom and death. And, you know, some of the toughest things we can imagine facing the early Christians face, right? And so we Mm -hmm. see those streams running parallel and neither of them ever go away, right? The persecution, the struggle doesn't stop, but neither does the success and the ministry breakthroughs and that sort of thing. Those two are are just both together. I mean, I'll give you an example. 
So um, the Holy Spirit is continually going to use those things as an opportunity, whether it's good or bad, easy or hard, whatever. It's going to use those things as an opportunity to move the mission of Jesus in loving humanity further, right? Mm -hmm. So at one point... The missionary team is Paul and Barnabas, and they're traveling around doing the first missionary journey. They take John Mark with them, uh, the writer of our Gospel of Mark, who ends up ditching the team because they don't really tell us why, but he leaves and goes back home. The next time they get ready to leave for a missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas are going to have a fight about this. Paul and Barnabas are. Barnabas wants to take his relative Mark with him, and Paul doesn't because he ditched. And so they have such a sharp dispute, it says. I mean, this is Paul who's like, arguably the main character of the book of Acts, mm-hmm. certainly the main character of the second half, has a sharp dispute with Barnabas, who's uh, you know, certainly a, a person to emulate in the first half. And they, they like split. This is the first church split that we see. But what happens is we might be uncomfortable with that church split happening, but it really just kind of doubles their missionary force, right? Because mm-hmm. Paul is going to take Silas and Barnabas is going to go off and do his thing. Now, the camera, the narrative camera in Acts is going to follow Paul and Silas. But we know that Barnabas is doing his thing, right? So we've just doubled our missionary force, even in the wake of this, like, early church split, so to speak, right? The Holy Spirit is going to be really intentional about using everything that happens to further the message of Jesus. What are some other things, like the top two, three things that you want people to know from a like an academic biblical perspective as they're going into this, things to keep in mind. Sure. So there's a theme to look for that I talk about a lot in my writings and as I read and write on Luke and Acts, there's there's the word called decentralization. So when you think about the Judaism, the Second Temple Judaism that we encounter in the Gospels in the first century, it's very centralized around Jerusalem and the temple and the Torah and Sabbath and the purity codes. And it's, you know, there's a whole system for, for the Jewish folks to, to plug into to create community and all this. And we see in Luke, but certainly in Acts, there's going to be a decentralization around that. Uh, rather than bring the millions of people in the Roman Empire to the temple in Jerusalem, not possible. Instead, the presence of God is going to be now mediated through the Holy Spirit, right? That's not limited to the temple in Jerusalem. It's not limited to four walls. It's not limited to a geographical space. Instead, wherever there are people meeting in his name, the Holy Spirit is there. That had to be so mind-blowing for the Jewish Christians. Because of the way that Luke talked about the religious leaders in the book of Luke, and knowing that Paul, who was Saul still at the time, was one of them, and then to have this shift of him coming to know Jesus, and things exactly like you're talking about, the decentralization, the, the, the all the, the commandments that were on Jewish people, and the law, and then the freedom that is found in Christ through that, that that's, I, I mean, I, and, and how then Paul goes on to write letters, and it's like he's having to build the plane, the church, while he's flying. Right. <laughs> it's it's a paradigm shift, no mm-hmm. question about it. Yeah. And I mean, nobody does a bigger 180 than Paul does, right? And yeah. we can talk about his story if you want. But yeah, I mean, we just see uh, pretty much everything is decentralized. It's no longer about this geographical place that we have to journey to. Actually, mm-hmm. by the end of the book of Acts, Jerusalem becomes 
synonymous with persecution and arrest. You know, people tell Paul, hey, if you go back to Jerusalem like you feel called to do, uh, you're going to get arrested and you're going to die, right? Agabus takes Paul's belt and ties himself up with it, his hands and his feet to say, this is what they're going to do to you, Paul, if you go back to Jerusalem, right? So it's no longer about this centralized location where God's presence dwells. Instead, the Holy Spirit is wherever people are gathered. And that's really good news for us. That's really strategic news from a Holy Spirit missional kind of perspective, because if you have Christians in Corinth or Rome or Minnesota, wherever, mm-hmm. fill in the blank, the Holy Spirit is there with them. Uh, and that's really good news. So that's the first part of decentralization is the the geographical uh, mode. The second one, uh, there's also a personal decentralization that goes on, right? So at the beginning of Acts, we have 11 disciples who then they elect Matthias and have 12 again. Uh, and we sort of expect those 12 dudes to be the leaders and be the central figures going forward. I mean, that's the, that's the leadership of the church. And only two of those guys actually play a role in the book of Acts at all, Peter and John. John drops out by Acts chapter 8. Peter continues around a little bit longer to 15. But that cast of characters is really going to shift. And again, this is decentralization around people because if we're limited to 12 dudes that can be the leaders of this new church, we're in trouble. Like Mm -hmm. the ability to expand that is uh, just really rough. So we see this cast of characters expand we see these people elected to serve food in Acts chapter 6. Stephen is kind of the headlining member. And we don't actually hear about them serving food at all, but Stephen and Philip are going to do amazing ministry stuff. And they're not they're not on the short list of people you would expect to take the mission of Jesus forward, right? Paul is about the last person you would expect <laughs> to take the mission of Jesus forward, right? And so we see this decentralization of people where the, the most important people on the list – it's not that they don't contribute. It's just that the camera doesn't really follow them. And then these underdogs continually step up. Uh, one of my favorites is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts mm. chapter 8. I mean, uh, just such a total outsider. You you know, Deuteronomy talks about eunuchs and how eunuchs aren't welcomed at the temple and that, you know, that, that sort of thing. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit specifically sends Philip on this road to meet with this guy and ride in his chariot. And uh, he's an outsider for so many reasons. And yet the arms of the kingdom are wide open to this guy. That's, I have so many questions. (laughs) Like there's so many ways that we could go so many roads that we could go from there, but I really want to stay focused on kind of the bigger picture and the kind of the themes that we want to talk about with the with the book of Acts. So decentralization of the physical place, decentralization of people what else do you want people to keep in mind as they read? Yeah, so I mean, we definitely see some ethics, right? Luke is going to teach what an early Christian looks like through narrative. He's going to tell stories. He's going to have good guys and bad guys, which in the academic world we call exemplars and anti-exemplars. And one of those things that is just unmissable, both in Luke and in Acts, but certainly in Acts, is generosity, right? An early Christian from Luke's perspective is generous. They share their wealth. And so we see people travel to Jerusalem for Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and they just stay, right? I mean, they just send word back to wherever they came from and say, hey, sell the field, sell the land, sell everything. We're sort of reading between the lines here, right? But they take all their money and they just, they sell everything they have and they join this community and they share generously uh, with, you know, everybody there that's there and as part of this early church community. And the text actually says, you were talking about those harmonious passages earlier that we see early on. 
Uh, it mentions that there's no needy person among them, right? I mean, poverty is eliminated in the community of the early church. I mean, that's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. It really is. Yeah. And so you could call that an ethic, right? We could we could see that as maybe like an ethical rule or something. But Luke's really doing it more as like an aesthetic, right? Mm. Like, isn't this beautiful? Mm. To th- Like you just said, right? Isn't mm. this beautiful? Isn't it mind-blowing to think of this community that's so others centered and so loving and so sharing and so generous that like poverty just isn't a thing anymore. People don't have needs. Now that doesn't last forever, right? Because quickly the Hebrew widows are overlooked and the food distribution, right? I mean, selfishness, human sin is going to creep in yeah, and there they have to people deal with there. it. There's people there, <laughs> yeah. right? So they mess it up, right? But we see these beautiful pictures where we, when we read this, we go, wow, I would love to be a part of a community like that. I would love to be generous and share, right? And so we see uh, the ethics, but also the aesthetics, the beauty that Luke is calling us to in Acts. I also think it's interesting when they when the Hebrew widows were not getting their, I think it was their fair share of food. And the apostles were like, we, we've got a job to do. We need to go spread the gospel. We can't be food distributors. And then that's when they put Stephen and... And Philip and, and yeah, Nicholas. And there's, it, yeah. a bunch, there's a whole cast of characters. Yeah, right. But yeah. I thought that was really interesting how they're like, we need to be about the gospel. Like, you guys take care of that. We need to go do this job that, you know, Jesus in person, like himself, told us to go sure. to go do. Yep. So that like laser focus of this is what we need to be doing is letting is telling people the good news of Jesus that they can be reconciled to God. Yeah. So there's two ways to look at that. One is like you're saying, right, just kind of a laser focus on the gospel. You could also see it as a little bit of a critique on the disciples, too, because remember, Jesus says in Acts 1, 8, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. In chapter six, it has not left Jerusalem yet. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're following Jesus's prediction, you're kind of like, this is a little bit of a false start here, Jesus, right? A little bit of a slow start. And the disciples say, yeah, you know, we just really need to focus on the gospel. It's going to be Philip and it's going to be actually, so Stephen is going to give this speech before the Sanhedrin and get killed, which is going to cause the scattering of all the early Christians outside of Jerusalem. They don't leave because they go, wow, we have so many missionary opportunities mm. outside of Jerusalem. Because of this call. Yeah, they leave because they're scared for their lives. And so an, another example of how the Holy Spirit uses everything to move that mission of loving people forward, uh, even the death of one of its early heroes, right? And so, uh, so yeah, we do see that spread outside of, a Jeru- of Jerusalem, that decentralization theme, but it comes kind of on the heels of this really tough thing happening. Mm. Okay, so we have the decentralization of people and places, and then we have the... Ethics and aesthetics. Yep. And so I'll give you another example of that. Um, Diversity is huge in the book of Acts, right? So there's this intentional move in Acts chapter 2 where Luke is going to say, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. A little bit hyperbole there, right? Because there's a whole bunch of nations. Maybe it's of the known world of the day, but certainly of the Roman Empire. He, he goes on to give this list of 15 different nations. And if you plot this out on a map, for example, it really is. I mean, as far north as the Roman Empire stretches and south and east and west from all over the place. And then even outside of there, we're going to encounter people uh, like the Ethiopian eunuch, for example, that fall outside of Rome's rule that are going to be members of this early church, this early movement, right? And so this is not a monolithic tribe at all. This is an incredibly diverse 
you know, move of the spirit of all different kinds of people such that there's all these different languages being spoken. And that first, that first miracle we see in, in Acts chapter two is, you know, everybody hears the gospel being presented in their own language, right? Uh, tongues shows up as the gospel in their own language and the diversity of languages there. I mean, again, this is an example of it, the early church is diverse, but rather than treating that like an ethic, like here's what you have to do, it's more like, man, isn't this a beautiful mm. picture of what the church looks like when mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is present and when God is working is that all of our differences seem to take a back seat to the unity that we have in Christ. And the beauty, and the beauty that that is, Absolutely. that that brings. So this is so good. This is so good. I'm so, And I'm only, I was hoping to get farther into the chapter before you and I talked. I'm only like into chapter 10. So I'm, I'm eating all this up. I hope you are too, yeah. those of you who are listening to us. So what else, Nick? <laughs> so I'll give, you a, I'll, I'll give you another one. So we see the Holy Spirit as the initiator of new missionary initiatives in the book of Acts. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There's, is there an institutional church in the book of Acts? Well, sort of, right? I mean, it's the early days. There's no 501c3, right? They haven't, you know, filed, you know, papers with the local, you know, state or whatever, that sort of thing. But there is, there's a structure, right? We see that in Acts chapter 15, where they pull the the leaders of the church together to decide about, you know, do we want to let Gentiles in the church or not? Mm-hmm. What's going on, right? Uh, so there, there is sort of an institutional church, but the Holy Spirit is always several chapters, several moves ahead of the institutional church. So for example, Acts 15, which I just mentioned, where they get together to decide, hey, Let's not make it difficult for Gentiles who are trying to come to Christ. Let's welcome them with open arms. Let's move past the kind of Old Testament, intertestamental ideas of Jewish people can't go into Gentile homes or else they're unclean, all that kind of stuff. We need to move past that and get to the point where we're welcoming Gentiles with open arms. That's great, but it was like seven chapters before that the Holy Spirit moved Philip to convert the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know about you, Angela, but in my church experience, I've heard this phrase a lot of, we don't want to get ahead of God. We don't want to get ahead of the Holy Spirit, right? This idea like like he's the anchor behind us and we're trying to pull God. Yeah, we're trying to drag him along to to love people more. I got news for you. Like you're when it comes to loving outsiders, you're not going to get ahead of the Holy Spirit, right? Like he is he or she or it or whatever you want to call it, right? That's hard to hard to do pronouns for the Holy Spirit sometimes, but uh it's out on the edge loving people already today in places that we aren't. It's encouraging people outside of the institutional church to love the least of these. And I think that's pretty cool, right? And so we see through the book of Acts is that the institutional church does catch up, but they're just always kind of behind, right? It's not these 12 guys, these leaders that are going to lead the charge. Instead, the Holy Spirit is going to be like, hey, any volunteers? I got some people over here that, you know, I, I want to love on. Um, okay, yep, you'll do. Philip, let's go do it. You know, let's let's love some people. And then the institu- institutional church just kind of has to figure out what to do. And they do, but like they get with the program eventually, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily on the cutting edge. The Holy Spirit is the cutting edge of love and service and mission in the book of Acts. That is such a good and important word for us to hear, for us to be reminded of. I I think, you know, I had a a shift several years ago of, of even, you know, when you go on a, on a missions trip, it's easy. It's, I think it's really easy to come with the stance of, 
I am coming to serve you versus, you know what? God is at move there and I want to be a part of what God is doing there. And I hear that's what I hear you saying that the Holy Spirit is already at work in insert place and we get to go and partner with what the Holy Spirit is already doing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you have a radical idea for, you know, loving someone across boundaries, loving someone who seems unlovable, you know, the Holy Spirit's already thought of that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, you know, it, it's applauding you in your your dreams, your motivations, your your radical ideas to love people outside of your comfort zone. That's not strange to the Holy Spirit. That's 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 what he does for breakfast, mm-hmm. so yeah. to speak, right? <laughs> Well, is there anything, any kind of last thing that you feel like is important that we know as we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, I guess we should talk about the end of the book a little bit, just a thought or two there. So, you know, Luke is going to end the last eight chapters or so with the trials of Jesus. Uh, He's going to get arrested. He's going to be on trial by a handful of different people. Uh, He's going to end up getting crucified and then raised from the dead. The end of the book of Acts, we're going to see a... Similar pattern with Paul, but certainly some differences as well, right? So Mm -hmm. he's going to get arrested. He's going to go on trial before a lot of different leaders. And as you're reading those trial scenes, you're going to want to think about how is Paul different when he's in front of world leaders than than Jesus was, right? Remember, Jesus is like almost entirely silent when he's being accused in front of these world leaders. Paul is going to be anything but silent, right? We're going to see long speeches that he's going to give, defending himself, uh, preaching the gospel, all that kind of stuff. So we, we see those differences. And then it's not going to end with Paul's death, although we do know that Paul, church tradition tells us that Paul is executed by Nero in the 60s. That's not going to be included in Acts. Instead, Acts is going to end on kind of a high note of Paul saying, hey, uh, the gospel is going to the Gentiles and they will listen. And that last verse of Acts that the gospel goes forth unhindered or without hindrance. Um, So it ends on a positive note, despite all of the struggle and everything that it took to get there, it's going to end positively. Which, and for my personality, I just really like that. (laughs) That You like the happy ending, right? Yes, I do. (laughs) This has been so good and I'm... I'm personally, I have been really excited to read the book of Acts and, and now I feel like I'm even more excited and better equipped for, for reading it to have a better understanding. And I mean, everything that you're teaching us and that we've just finished the book of Luke. So I'm, I'm just really excited. Thank you so much for doing all this. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining us for Reading the Bible Together podcast, this introduction to the book of Acts. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes, and we will have one episode for every chapter of Acts. So we will see you with Acts chapter 1. The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at MyFaithRadio.com.